Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Ephesians. We are currently in chapter 1 at verse 15. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today. Let's begin reading, why don't we, in verse 15 of chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, where Paul writes this. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. This passage, of course, is a part of Paul's prayer life, you might say, uh, because this entire uh, passage in chapter 1 is a part of his prayer. He begins chapter 1 with a doxology of sorts, and then he uh, concludes chapter 1 with this longer prayer, and that uh, that is verses 15 through 23. But the prayer itself we won't be able to finish today, and we'll have to leave part of uh, chapter 1 uh, for the next episode. But chapter 1 has to do with our position in Christ uh, as a body, uh, and that is, uh, with Christ as our head, and we are members of his body. And then chapter 2 is our position in Christ as a temple. That means this is the place of worship. This is the place of, of uh, our gathering together. And then chapter 3 talks about our position in Christ as a mystery. And uh, we'll get to all of those things in future episodes. For right now, uh, the... The idea that our position is as a body is our praise for spiritual possession in verses 3 through 14. And that's the part that we've already been through. Now, verse 15 through 23 talks about prayer. This is Paul's prayer, that is, uh, for spiritual perception. And that's the main idea there. But in verse 15, he begins... Uh, talking about uh, praying for their knowledge uh, primarily, and that's where we are today. And uh, that's the passage that we read, verses 15 through the first half of verse 19. We call it 19a. Uh, we'll begin next episode with 19b. But uh, uh, it's interesting that he says, for this reason, I too. Uh, what is the reason? It's because of uh, the things that he's already talked about. In order, in order to understand where Paul is going, we need to uh, catch a glimpse about where he has been in terms of his thankfulness, in terms of this doxology that he's already um, expressed in the first uh, 14 verses, or at least through verse 3 through 14. And uh, that expression uh, began in verse 6, uh, that is when he says, to the praise of his glory in verse 6, uh, and to the praise of his glory in verse 12. 
And then he says again to the praise of his glory in verse 14. Every time he uses that phrase, gives us a hint of the of the various paragraphs or the various ideas, the things that Paul wants to get across. The first uh, thing that he wants to get across is, is the fact that he wants to bless God for uh, the fact that God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And that idea of being chosen, some people kind of chafe at that. Uh, they they uh, take offense at it or they argue about it uh, one way or the other. I believe that uh, the best way to understand it is the way we understand a lot of other things in this same passage, and that is our chosen status, our chosen position is because we are in Christ. Christ himself is chosen. Uh, We find that in Isaiah 42, verse 1, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He's talking about the Messiah, the Son of God. So the Father has, has called the Son to be his chosen one. And uh, then in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 35, then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. That, of course, was an expression at Jesus's baptism. And so that tells us right away that Jesus is the chosen one, and we are chosen because we are in him. Now, we... uh, we could uh, make a case, perhaps, that uh, God has chosen us through faith in Christ. That that is very well true. That uh, He has, uh, but uh, He has uh, called us to faith in Christ. He has invited us to faith in Christ, and it's it's a part of His sovereign work to bring us to faith in Christ. Uh, after all, if you are here today because you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, then you see God knew about that uh, at least five minutes before you did it. He knew that uh, that, that was going to happen. In fact, uh, it could very well be said that uh, even uh, God's handiwork was already working in your life uh, the day before, or maybe the week before, or maybe for a whole year in advance of you of you coming to faith in Christ, he was working to to bring about that particular event, that particular incident. Uh, maybe he was working several years in advance uh, through the various people and circumstances and, and uh, all the other things in your life to bring you to saving faith in Christ. So we're not trying to deny God's work in advance to bring you to trust in Jesus, his son. But what we are trying to uh, express out of this passage is that uh, your chosen status is because you are in Christ. And therefore, being in Christ, you inherit his chosen status. So that makes you chosen. You see, God could have chosen any number of uh, uh, kind of characteristics to say that these are my people or these are the people I want to choose to use or the people I want to choose to save. And uh, he could have just said, oh, uh, uh, brown-haired people or green-eyed people as a group and just say that that was going to be the basis, that was going to be the parameter or... or uh, uh, the people that uh, that have long noses, or the people who have uh, 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 
right-handed, and uh, he could have done that. And by the way, he would have been perfectly just in in choosing however he wanted to choose. But you see, that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is, is because we are in Christ, then we are chosen. And because Christ existed before the foundation of the world, then that means our chosen status is in him before the foundation of the world. And uh, and then he he talks about the second uh, phrase of to the praise of his glory. We've been redeemed to know a mystery of Christ. In fact, we have been prescribed ahead of time. It says that uh, that uh, we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. So the the work of God's uh, handiwork uh, is is not only to bring us to faith in Christ, but having come to faith in Christ, he has a destiny he has prescribed for us. That's what's going on here. It's not so much that he picked out you to be saved and he picked, and he didn't pick out somebody else to be saved, but rather that having been saved by your trust in Christ, then God you uh, God has already prescribed where you're going to be headed. And that's exactly what this passage teaches. Now, you can go to other passages and get another impression, but I just want to unfold this passage because it it bears well upon what Paul is about to say in verses 15 through 19a. Finally, uh, we um, we have been blessed with Uh, with being sealed to possess the inheritance. In other words, the Spirit of God has sealed us so that we can inherit what God uh, has picked out for us and the destiny he has prescribed for us in advance. And so... um, that is part of the work of uh, God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit has done this complete work, that is, on our behalf, to bring us towards something, not just to give us a ticket into heaven, but to prescribe for us a destiny and to aim for us a goal. And that goal is that we should be in Christ to the the praise of his glory. We have an ending work of God that is yet to be completed. Now, the salvation work in in the sense of the, the penalty phase for our sins, that has already been finished. That was finished in the cross. But the cross and that penalty phase only brings us into God's plan. And being a part of his plan, he then prescribes a purpose and a destiny for us. And that is worth shouting about. And uh, and so Paul then, based upon these things of what he knows about the Ephesian believers, then he begins to pray. He says, for this reason, this is verse 15, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you. In other words, uh, uh, Paul knows that these people have exercised true saving faith. This isn't a a fake faith. It isn't just a believe uh, kind of thing that uh, is just an intellectual kind of acknowledgement of certain facts, but this is a repentance and true trust. This is trusting Jesus to be everything that he claimed to be, trusting him as 
uh, the one who died for their sins. And having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. So you see, uh, this is something that uh, uh, th- that is a part of this congregation. First of all, is their faith in Christ. Second of all, is their love for the fellow saints. Not only the fellow saints in their own congregation, but um, perhaps even love for the saints who come in among them. In other words, fellow believers who come and fellowship uh, in their congregation, who have traveled from other places. Maybe they're settling in in Ephesus, or maybe they're just traveling through. But uh, these dear believers in Ephesus have shown both their faith in Christ as well as the love for the saints. Uh, What's interesting is by the time that uh, you get to Revelation chapter 2, it's interesting that that, uh, Paul says, uh, that is, uh, John uh, is writing the words of Jesus, uh, and Jesus is saying this in uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you have found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. So that is a positive thing for this church to have uh, many, many years later that Jesus commends them for their faith. And yet, at the same time, in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 2, in this same congregation, uh, he says this, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. So this love for the saints and the love for the Lord Jesus may have somewhat diminished and by that time. Well, we need to take a break. We'll let you have this music. Let's continue on in verse 16. It says, um, in the light of these, uh, these believers at uh, Ephesus and their, their faith in the Lord Jesus that uh, Paul seems to have witnessed and seems to give, give uh, accreditation for, uh, yet uh, he also uh, accredits them for having love for all the saints. Now, we, uh, we find out, uh, as we've said before the break, that that many years later, that seems to have been a, um, a weakness on this congregation, that they didn't retain that same kind of love. They were, uh, they were pretty strong in their faith and pretty strong in standing for the truth and standing against the false apostles, but uh, they seem to have 
lost some of their first love. But uh, in the meantime, as far as the context here is concerned, that's not the case yet. And so uh, Paul says, we do not cease giving thanks for you. And that's a fascinating insight into, into Paul's prayer life. In fact, you can study the entire chapter one almost uh, to, uh, to get an insight into Paul's prayer. What is it he prays for people? What is it is he thankful for on behalf of other people? And uh, if you want to do a study of the, um, the prayer life of Paul, you, you are welcome to do that. You can go to um, Ephesians in, in chapter 3 and find another prayer that he prays for the Ephesians. You can go to the book of Philippians chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 5, as well as verses 9 through 11. You'll find another prayer for that congregation. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and again, uh, verses 9 through 14, you'll find another prayer. You find uh, prayers all over the place from Paul on behalf of the churches that he ministered to. First Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Uh, he finds uh, there are many other prayers. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, as well as verses 11 and 12. Um, uh, again, he prays another prayer in uh, chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, verses 16 and 17. Another prayer he prays for the Thessalonians in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. You can, you can do your own study and come up uh, with uh, um, uh, some, some of your own insights and, and conclusions because, you see, the apostle has certain priorities for the believers, and those priorities have become very, very clear when you look at his prayer life, when you look at the things and the people that he prays for. In fact, uh, uh, you can uh, make your own uh, sort of commitment to say, well, I need to pray more and I need to pray more. And uh, you can continue to, to go on making that kind of wish about your own spiritual life. But I'd like to make a suggestion to, to you based on the observation that I've seen in Paul's prayer life. Paul's prayer life was pretty much all wrapped around uh, the people he cared the most about. And that uh, that seems to indicate, at least to me, that, uh, that if you want to increase your prayer life, you need to increase the care that you have for other people, the care and the responsibility for their spiritual benefits and for their spiritual growth, and then you pray for them. In other words, you increase your care life, and you're almost automatically going to increase your prayer life uh, for people. And uh, so he constantly gives thanks while mentioning, uh, while making mention of you in my prayers. Now look at the, that, the <laughs> look at Paul's uh, prayer request. In other words, the actual items that he wants to pray for. You can look at that and, and um, see that in verse uh, 17. It says that, see, there's part of his uh, prayer right there. And verse 18, I pray that the eyes, see there, that's another part of his prayer. And uh, finally, uh, later on in verse 18, uh, what are the riches of his glory? And verse 19, and what is the surpassing greatness? So there are some of Paul's prayer items for these believers. And so he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of, of revelation. In other words, Paul prays that these believers would grow in their knowledge of 
the word of God. Grow in their knowledge of Christ. Grow in their knowledge of uh, in wisdom and of uh, revelation in the knowledge of him. Uh, you see, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, uh, speaks of the spirit of the Lord. Uh, will rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And again, he's talking about the Messiah here. We should set about to get to know Christ. That is what Paul is praying for these believers in in the knowledge of him. And I uh, then he also prays in verse 18, uh, that I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So he prays in, in wisdom and knowledge, but it's not just academic knowledge. This is personal knowledge. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses uh, 1 and 2 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. God has not remained silent in his creation. He has, he has uh, revealed himself in words. And it, it began with his communication skills uh, all the way back in Genesis and all the way through. He has told us things about himself. He's told us things about ourselves. He's told us things about the universe. He's told us things about eternity. He's told us things about all those things that we would never discover on our own effort or through our own ingenuity. Uh, these are the things beyond our investigation that we would never have known without him. And so we get to know him because that is what uh, part of his goal is, is for us to know him. And, uh, and uh, that's the reason why he, re he revealed himself to us. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, uh, the the last part of verse 8 of Philippians 3, it says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, that is uh, why we are here, is to know him. Yes, he is currently absent from this earth in, uh, in a physical sense, but he has left his spirit and he has left his words behind so that we can know him. And... Uh, it says uh, in Ch Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16, it says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Verse 16 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him. He quotes a question, a rhetorical question from Isaiah 40 verse 13. And then he gives the New Testament answer to Isaiah's rhetorical question, for who has known the mind of the Lord that we will instruct him? And Paul gives the answer, but we have the mind of Christ. You see, we can know Christ because we've been given the equipment to know him. The Spirit of God reflects the mind of Christ. The Spirit of God has revealed the word of Christ to us. And by studying the word of Christ, then 
the Spirit of God can take that and we can know Christ. We can know how Jesus thinks. That is part of our growth in him. And so he says, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Now, guess what? This prayer request is going to be answered. And the answer is found in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. In other words, the rest of this letter is basically the answer to Paul's prayer. And Paul himself becomes the vehicle uh, by which, uh, or the agent by which, God answers this prayer request of Paul. And we'll get into that in the, in the coming episodes uh, as we go through the book of Ephesians. So this is going to be answered. And so you can see uh, this knowledge of him as it bears out as we continue to study what uh, Paul writes down through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And that's important. Our spiritual growth have eyes. We need a new focus. We need a new prescription for our spiritual eyes because our spiritual eyes may have gotten clouded. And uh, we need to, uh, to have a new focus, a new clarity in looking spiritually to the words of God and the word of Christ. And uh, and of knowing him so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. We have a hope. And um, first of all, I want to say that, uh, that, you see, you don't get more spiritual uh, as a Christian by, by just uh, 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 ignorance. In other words, uh, some people make a, make a big boast out of the fact that they, they don't know much, and that ma- somehow makes them automatically more spiritual. And yet that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are to know him. That's what makes us more spiritual is, is knowing. It is not ignorance. And what are we to know? We're to know this hope. That's one of the things we're supposed to know is the hope of his calling. Colossians chapter 1 verse 5 says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. This is our hope. It was revealed to us in the gospel that now we have trusted in the gospel that gives us hope. And and it is laid up for us in heaven. And First uh, Peter chapter three verse fifteen it says um, that you that always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. So we have hope in heaven, and then we have hope existing in us because it is it is secure in Christ in heaven. And so he continues on. And uh, what is? the uh, riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. So that uh, that's part of his prayer request, is that we should know his glory. What is his glory? Well, part of his glory, I believe, is if you take all the qualities of God and you add them up to his uh, to an excellent degree. That's his quality of love to an excellent degree. His quality of truthfulness to an excellent degree. Degree. Uh, his quality of justice to an excellent degree. His quality of uh, of compassion to an excellent degree. You see, then all of those excellent things about God uh, sum up to be his glory. And uh, then he says, "What is the surpassing?" Uh, 
surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. And so that is part of our knowledge. We learn about the hope that is placed for us in Christ and, uh, and the inheritance that we have. And notice that it says his inheritance in the saints. You realize that not only do we inherit something by being in Christ, do you realize that the Father inherits us? because we are in his son. We are the father's inheritance. He inherits us. Uh, have you known that before? Now you know it. And that's what it says here. It's the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And so he inherits us and that's part of his glory. And uh, then uh, the surpassing greatness of his power. And it was exhibited in his resurrection. That was his power. And um, Philippians chapter three, verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection so that our Christian life is to be lived out knowing the things that we have in Christ. If we don't know what we have in Christ, then we won't be able to live with the kinds of equipment that he's already provided. We're just uh, going to wander around uh, in, in uh, some sort of a fog without the right perception of who we are in Christ, the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Thank you, Father, for these moments together. Thank you for the insights that you give us in your revealed truth through the writings of Paul in the book of Ephesians. Thank you so much for placing us into him and for giving us uh, your spirit and your words so that we can know you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>